Yeah, we were in the middle of a conversation, and then and then Tyler was like, "Oh God, we got to start. I'm starting now." As we rest, I recline and place my harp on my lap. I look around, smiling, giving each comrade a wink, and I gently strum to set my comrades at ease. Then, still plunking in strings, I regale them with tales of valiant fools, like us doing unwise deeds to stop the selfish and the wicked. Uh, this wonderful passage was called I Cast Song of Rest from Describe.com. Visit Describe.com slash RPGbot and use coupon code RPGbot at checkout to save $5 on your first subscription payment. Welcome to the RPGbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ashley Lai. Hello. We're need you to How are you doing tonight? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know you spoke well. <laughs> I think that is I not need... the reference I expected tonight. I think I think I need to leave now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're done. Good night, everybody. <laughs> we're all out of jokes. Humor battery exhausted. Oh my god! <laughs> all right, Tyler, what is happening? All right, tonight we're going to talk about pacing. So this is an episode that we have promised to do for a long time, and I've wanted to do this for a long time. Pacing is kind of a nightmare in tabletop RPGs. The the combination of needing to pace a story and also pace difficult mechanical challenges is extremely, extremely difficult. And in a lot of cases, the tools for doing it are atrocious. So we're going to look at the state of the state of the world today. We're going to look at resting mechanics. We're going to look at balancing encounters a little bit. And we're going to look at how to handle pacing over the course of an adventure in a way that will both entertain and challenge your players now i understand this is a big ask this is a big topic like we're gonna get a couple of things wrong but i'm hoping we can give everybody some really good ideas tonight about how to make their games better yeah pacing is super challenging right i am mean, we're having the problem in our current game that we're playing so we're playing through dragon lance published last november there's a part where you do hex crawl and the party, because they have a wizard and wizards have spells, basically sleeping at night isn't a challenge, so they're constantly well-rested. So one of our players, this is the first campaign they've ever played through. This is their first experience with tabletop RPGs, let alone Dungeons & Dragons. Hit level 5 as a light cleric, now has fireball. Two levels later, I say, folks, we're going to try something different, and we'll talk about that in the podcast. Like, folks, we're going to try something different, because I feel like you're blowing through everything, you're not feeling challenged. He's like, yeah, just, I want something that I can't fireball to solve. It took two <laughs> levels, and he's tired of fireballing already. And, and that's the challenge with getting pacing right. How do we drive resource attrition? How do we make players think about their choices as they go from rest to rest, or as they go from resource to resource? So, this is this is definitely, this is the RPG bot podcast. So we definitely have more of a focus on like encounters and combat, but something I think that 
uh, is also worth discussing when it comes to pacing is not only story pacing, but also role play encounters. This is a discussion I had with my roommate recently who's running my Pathfinder game. And we basically said to him, hey, there's a, there's a player in our party who's a little bit more uncomfortable with role-playing. And we haven't had time in game to really try to role play with her at all. So we need, we're asking for more of those like spots to do that. And his, his question was, how do I set those times aside? How do I know when those role play scenes have set their course and continue it on? And the other question that he brought up, which I think is really interesting is sometimes in Dungeons and Dragons, there's a tendency for people to do goof off sessions you know where you're just kind of there's the shopping episode or like you're just going around and people get fixated on a one thing and sometimes as a dm it's hard to know when it's when you're supposed to take your hands off the reins and just let your players role play stuff out for a while and when it's time to sort of be like okay this scene is over we need to continue forward and I think that's a hard distinction to make, but ultimately you have to f- you have to think of pacing as pacing is what is in service to the fun. If it feels like your players are getting bored or not engaging, then that's a sign in any scenario that you need to increase the pacing. If people, if players feel like they're getting overwhelmed or they don't have enough time to do the things that they want to do, that's a sign that you need to slow down the pacing. And that's kind of the hardest part of pacing as a DM, especially for people who get into the hobby. As people who get into the hobby, we tend to be more introverted. Some of us are a little bit neurodivergent, so it's harder to read people. But this is where that skill becomes really necessary. You need to know how to read the situation and read the room. Or at least, if you can't do that, read the narrative setup. Like, think of it as a camera. Like, you're a director and you're a camera crew. Think of, this scene is going nowhere. (laughs) It's time to cut. (laughs) Or this scene, this scene isn't giving the audience enough to pro- enough time to process. I need to slow down and live in this scene a little bit. And it's the thing that you'll that you'll will probably come back to again and again is while we can give you advice on this, ultimately pacing is going to be a skill that you just have to kind of practice and learn. There's no like one secret hack. This is the this is exactly the amount of encounters you have to do, and this is exactly the amount of time you should give to each scene. That's not going to work for every group. And it may not be the best for every person. So at the end of the day, you just it's a skill muscle that you need to train and work on. Yeah, I agree entirely. And yeah, a lot of groups really do struggle to make time for those role playing scenes and like box them appropriately. Yeah, Ash, you you had it spot on. Like sometimes the scene runs its course and then no one knows when to pivot away and drawing the comparison to film. Yeah, I think that hits it very nicely. Okay, so I'm I'm going to ask you guys if you've been in a specific situation before. So, you're adventurers. You're you're crawling the dungeon, you're on the quest, you're doing the thing. You get to the door of the big bad's lair. You're ready. Everybody looks at their character sheets and says, "Hang on. We need to take a 1-hour short rest to get our stuff back before we go fight the boss." Absolutely. Yeah. That happens yeah. all yeah, the time. I, I need an inspiring speech. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to get those temporary hit points. I need to roll some hit die. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. That's so, helpful. uh, yeah. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. Hour long nap right at the boss's front door. Just like only thing between you and them is like an inch or two of solid wood, maybe some iron banding. That's all you got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'll still be there when we're ready. Yeah. Okay. So, so the problem in that situation is resting and resource attrition. Now, though, those short rests do provide a really, really great opportunity to have like intra-party role-playing scenes. And like, we'll, we'll hit on that a little bit later, but I want to hit on rest mechanics because they are so important to the pacing of an adventure in games like D and D Pathfinder, a lot, surprisingly a lot of other RPGs as well. So yeah, we, we all play five E I'm pretty sure everyone in the chat plays five E almost everybody listening. You've probably at least played five E a few times. In the Dungeon Master's Guide, there is one page that is very frequently overlooked. I mean, it's one page. It's easy to miss. But it talks about the adventuring day. And the concept of the adventuring day is basically the entire basis around which 5e's encounters are balanced. It gives you a fixed XP budget, which you're supposed to distribute over the course of the day to create encounters which are meaningfully challenging and taxing in some way for the players. So, like, makes them spend spell slots, make them spend hit dice to heal, things like that. Basically, anything that eats resources is some kind of meaningful challenge. And the budget is based on, you know, level, number of players, you get some number of XP, and then can use it to essentially build encounters throughout the day. Now, the crazy part of this is the math here expects you to have somewhere between six and eight encounters in a day. Now, folks in the chat, folks on the pod, has anyone ever managed to get eight encounters into a single adventuring day? No, but I've gotten close, and it wasn't a game I was running. <laughs> Remember how I talked about DM Revenge character? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was this DM. He, we wanted to go from point A to point B, which was like we were. It was a hex crawl, right, on a world map. Where we wanted to go was five hexes away from us. Mm-hmm. Every hex, he needed to have at least five encounters on those. Hexes. Oh God! And I will tell oh. you, it was awful, absolutely <laughs> atrocious. So. While the while I think the the day encounter system from fifth edition can be useful if you're like maybe doing a dungeon call, even then like six encounters in a dungeon call is going to get exhausting. I think be very careful of listening to that. For me personally, I will go like if the, the if the party is going and we've talked about random encounters before, but if the party is just traveling through a well-traveled area, I will only have encounters when it feels meaningful to do so. (laughs) Because players would rather just get to the place that they want to be. They don't want to fight a bunch of useless encounters for no reason, unless you're doing the XP system. And in which case, unless your party really likes grinding... I wouldn't recommend doing that. It's like one combat can be exhausting depending on how intense the combat is. Three or four of those can be like a lot, especially if you're a group that does like shorter sessions, like three to four hours. A lot of combats will take a short combat encounter will take like two hours. 
So that's the whole session. If you're doing more than two, if you're doing more than one encounter, that's your whole session is just combat. And that can be fun. But if the next session is then just more combat, your players are going to get angry <laughs> with good reason. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that is worth highlighting here is that those six to eight encounters, they don't necessarily have to be combat encounters, but for it to work for resource attrition, there has to be an opportunity for the players to burn resources. A great example, go to Tasha's Read the Rules for Complex Traps. Setting up a complex trap that the players have to work through, where they potentially have to use spells or use other, other features of their character to, to get through to solve whatever the problem is. Like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smite this statue because like, we need this to stop now. It's spewing gas at us <laughs> and we're dying. And then afterwards, having to burn the hit die to gain, to gain HP back. That still counts as an encounter. I, I still agree with the idea that it's like, okay, well, great. We're going to have five combat encounters and a trap, or we're going to have like three and three. That's still, that's too much. It's absolutely too much. Yeah, I want to point out a thing that from the chat Stubbins mentioned about their hex crawl through Tomb of Annihilation, where there were no short rests allowed between hexes and stuff. This really f is a good example of like what feeds into our, what we're talking about today, which is pacing. Mm -hmm. So, when you're deal when you're dealing with encounters and dealing with multiple encounters during a day, this comes down to what you want the frequency of encounters to communicate to the players or what your game is fundamentally about. If your game like I said, if when I ran one of my players through a like a well-traveled area that is pretty frequently patrolled in like a safe empire, the frequency of encounters should be very minimal. That not only makes it like, like your players have, have a goal in mind and they're traveling to a place, so they're not interested in how they get there. They're just interested in getting there. And if you ramp up the frequency of encounters, it then becomes like, how does anybody live in this area? But there is something to be said for what Stub Stubbins' game was, which was a threatening environment, but that's kind of the fantasy of that particular game. Like I've I've talked about Middenheim before, where these where I had my players running through a vast wilderness of threatening creatures being chased by a bunch of religious fanatics. So they had to they had finite resources that they had to measure out, and they weren't going to get back back quickly. And they had this ticking clock that was constantly on their tail so they had to figure out where exactly they wanted to rest how far they wanted to go what encounters they wanted to take on and that was part of the fantasy of it and that the the fact that i threw more encounters at them added to this sense of danger and urgency so when you're doing pacing not all encounter not all numbers of encounters that you throw at your players are created equal your pacing tells you so much about the world that you're trying to communicate to your players. That's why story-based encounters are so important because every creature you meet, every person you interact with should, even if nothing else happens but combat, it gives your players subtextually information about the world and what they should expect. Yeah, so talking about doing hex crawls, it's actually worth, I, I first want to highlight a particular variant rule in the DMG. So gritty realism. Have you ever played a game with gritty realism? All right. I, ha I so, have now. <laughs> yeah. Because we yeah. did it. And, and that was yeah. the cure we, we went for for the hex crawl. It's like, okay, you're getting the opportunity to sleep whenever you want. You're getting all of your resources back constantly. So we're going to take gritty realism. We're going to say that you're only going to actually be able to rest 
in a couple of the very the, the safe havens and actually get your resources back. So gritty realism, if I remember correctly, you have to be able to rest continuously for seven days yeah. to get a, the equivalent of a long rest. And a what would normally be a long rest gives you the benefit of a short rest. Yeah, I tweaked it a little bit with Middenheim, which was that players got some of their features back on. So there was short rest where they could just do the hour long rest. There was what I called mid-tier rest or medium rest or extended rest, whatever you want to call it where there was the equivalent of a long rest where they got some of their features back but not all of them and they couldn't they didn't heal to max they still had to use their hit dice and then long rest could only be taken in areas of safe haven and just that much really applies to the fantasy of this idea of a hex crawl dangerous exploration that kind of stuff i feel like Gritty realism really sort of system really sort of feeds well into hex crawls that are supposed to throw a lot of encounters and dangerous situations at players. Because the problem that you run into with a normal system, if you throw a bunch of encounters at people, they just rest every day. They get all their stuff back. So at a certain point, they don't feel threatened. It just feels like an inconvenience. It doesn't feel exactly. like an actual legitimate threat. 100%. I mean, that's, that is exactly right. And that was exactly what our players were frustrated with. It's like, yeah, yeah, we play for, and our game, we play two hours a week. That's what we get with this group of folks. And so exactly what you said, if we have two combat encounters, each of them will eat at least eat 30 minutes. We will spend half of our session basically not advancing the story. Yeah. And just like so much of that time is just eaten by just rolling initiatives, setting up a map, all the like basic tedium of just getting in and out of an encounter which is why it becomes so important that your combat encounters advance the story in some way mm -hmm. there should be no random like useless encounters just to fill time because you're you have limited time already so again pulling back from my Middenheim example every encounter that i put between the players even if it wasn't like directly related to like the church that was chasing them, like I put trolls in front of them that they had to negotiate with or fight. And that, that it may seem like that was just like a random encounter, but that fed into the story, which was we have this obstacle. We have to figure out a navigate a way to navigate the situation without expending too much of our resources, because then we won't have the resources that we need to deal with the much larger threat that's right behind us. And players in that, in that instance, in normal in a normal campaign, they would have just killed the trolls and not thought anything of it. But in this, my players had to think smart and be like, how can we avoid this without expending resources? One of my players convinced them to not only not fight the trolls, not fight them, but also fight the, the church that was coming behind them. So they turned <laughs> what could have been a, a hostile encounter that drained the resources into an advantage for them. And that created a scenario that allowed them to use their resources in a better way. So even just that small encounter that seen, that normally would just be a throwaway encounter has dramatic stakes. So when you have limited time and you still want to throw challenging encounters at your players, each of those encounters should advance the story or the drama in some way, shape, or form. I, I want to add one more thing to that. I think everything you just said is perfect. We've talked on other episodes about how to run our monsters effectively. This is a situation where, look, if you're ultimately wasting time, if you feel like this fight isn't going to advance the story, you've painted the picture you wanted to paint by having this fight here. If it's an intelligent creature at all, 
have it flee. You, you don't have to drive every fight to completion. That's another way that you can improve the pacing of your game, is if there's an opportunity for a creature to flee when it is losing a fight, get it out of there. Let the players yeah. go on. Yeah, don't drag each fight to the bitter end. Unless it's an yeah. undead creature or a construct, which... That's not going to flee. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, most creatures have self, self, self-preservation instinct, so use it. <laughs> yeah, we have, a, we have an article on the site, The Practical Guide to Faster D&D Combat. I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, you know, it's a short read. It should speed up your encounters quite a bit. All right, so, so I want to get us off of 5e, but just a couple more crunchy things. We mentioned how the Adventuring Day expects six to eight encounters per day it also expects two short rests that tells you two encounters short rest two encounters short rest two encounters like that is the expected breakup essentially with the daily xp budget you can do six exactly medium encounters or or you can do three deadly encounters now given the choice what do you think Six medium encounters or three really exciting deadly encounters, knowing you're going to get a short rest back right after. They're both so awful. Like, oh, God. Just because, like, six medium is a lot. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. so much. Um, (laughs) And three deadly is also a lot. It's like, I mean, because three deadly. I mean, yeah, I would vote three deadly if I had to choose because deadly are more interesting than a bunch Mm -hmm. of, like, encounters that ultimately I'm going to forget about. Three meaningful, (laughs) like, high-stakes encounters definitely give me more to chew on, but it's also exhausting. (laughs) Like, if I had three three boss fights in a day, that would just be so exhausting. My players were exhausted. Like, <laughs> I threw a multi-phase boss at them one time, and after that, all of us were like, "Can we get a drink?" Because this was a lot. If I had, if that, was, I was like, "Okay, everybody, that was just the first encounter of the day. Are you ready for two more?" I would probably be assassinated by my by my players, and justifiably probably. so. Yeah, I mean, the problem with three deadly fights, right, is like not all deadlies are cre- created equal. Like mm-hmm. some deadly fights, the players will roll over through and you're like, oh, this is great. And then you pick the wrong monster and you get into it. And it's like, oh, oh, this is going to go poorly because this is the perfect creature to absolutely wreck this party. Yeah. Eight, yep. eight shadows against a level 20 party where no one has strength higher than eight. Yeah, those guys are dead. <laughs> and shadows. Or, yeah. or no, and no see invisibility. Like they have no way to detect yeah. invisibility. Yeah, that's a that's a dead party right there. <laughs> yeah so i i have to imagine like a lot of this was written specifically with dungeon crawls in mind because like mm-hmm. where else are you going to find six to eight encounters that are going to sit around and wait for you to take an hour-long nap on the other side of a door only in a dungeon crawl like completely bakes and breaks internal consistency like it is very hard to explain a world where like oh yeah in an hour no one has left the room they're in they're all just sitting like statues like boy someday some players are going to come in kill me and take my boots Uh, i'm i mean the other situation that i could see this applying to is overland travel like short rest in between mm -hmm. like and agreed but the thing that I hate about that is it slows down the encounter, slows down travel, not only because you're throwing a bunch of encounters at people, but also their travel speed goes down because now they have to take breaks in between. So it's like, hey, guys, I know that your that your destination is 10, 10 hexes away. We got through one hex today. 
Yay! Woo! We did six encounters. We'll Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there in two years. I hope you're ready. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I want to propose something that I've literally just came up with this. So the idea is very much half-baked. So we've called out the problem of like an hour-long short rest being just absolutely absurd in most situations, but also the issue of just like it's too easy to get resources back. So what if we did like a, a scaling short restoration? So like first one, 10 minutes real quick. Second one, maybe 30 minutes. After that, an hour. And then after that, no more short rest for the day. Like you get three. Pretty sure Cypher system actually does that. Oh, shoot, really? There's like, yeah, there's like a tiered recovery system where the first one, it, it is, yeah, it's fast. It's like 10 minutes or something. But effectively, after two or three in a day, it's it's basically impossible. You just need to go to sleep. Quick yeah, start, okay. Quick start episode on Cypher system when, Randall? <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, no, let's do it. Let's do it before the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I'm done. All right. Well, should we talk about some Pathfinder? Let's do it. Uh, okay. So I'm I'm very excited. I'm very excited about PF2's rest mechanics because there's there's like a nice rest and officially officially that's it. There is officially no short rest. Like there's no I sit down, I take hit dice. Officially that is not a thing. But very very heavily implied very heavily like you are beaten with a chair over the head to beat this into you you need to take a rest after every encounter yeah because there's the refocusing right for people lots of classes have focus points and they're going to want to get them back after every fight which takes at least 10 minutes and then there's treat wounds which is really the only way to heal yourself outside of an extended rest so People are going to want to do that too, which I believe takes an hour at least to do that. Yeah. Yeah. By, by default, it takes an or Well, it takes 10 minutes to treat That's and then right. you have a one hour cooldown. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Succeed or fail. You, you can't attempt to treat wounds on that character again for another hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are feats that alleviate that and make it somewhat slightly better. But yeah, generally. Also, if you use shields, right, if your shield gets broken, you can use a crafting check to repair the shield, and so you can actually repair equipment. Like, there's a there's a list of these things that we do essentially as exploration actions, where the idea is get in, have your combat, wreck folks, but then after, you're going to want to do all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like... One of the one of the earliest articles I wrote for PF2 was the practical guide to post combat, which link it in the show notes. Basically, just here's how here's what refocusing is and why it's important. Here's why you need to treat wounds. Here's why you need to repair your shields. Here's how, how like do all of this after every encounter. Do these things. If, if I imagine folks probably haven't gotten their hands on the the new player core yet, since as of when we're recording this, it's not on shelves. One of the changes in the remaster, refocus now gives you back all of your focus points instead of just one. So like way more convenient. Oh yeah. Whoa. Huge improvement. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that makes, really is a bit game ma- changing. Yeah, that makes that makes focus focus spells very, very powerful. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> yes. Witch fans everywhere, very excited. Oh, I'm sorry. Rocco is is correcting me. So it, it is still just one, but there's no longer the restriction that you can't refocus again until you've spent a focus point. So if you have a pool of three focus points, you can refocus for 30 minutes. Thank you, Rocco. I appreciate it. 
Got it. Okay, uh, that that that's, yeah. that feels less broken. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's still such a huge buff, though. Yeah, it is. Well, but it, like, it, you can put time crunches on people to prevent abuse. So. That's true. Yeah, as far as pacing goes, if you're a GM, you're running a game, or if you're a player in a game for that matter in PF2, I, I think the universal experience is kind of like, hey, we know we need to do all of these things, so we're just going to do them. And we're not necessarily super worried about like, okay, well, this person works on this person and this person works on this person while this person over here is repairing the shield, but this person's over here gaining focus points. It's kind of that like, okay, everybody, do your thing. Who's going to roll treat wounds? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have to wonder if groups are getting to the point in PF2 where it's like, okay, everyone has put in the, the skill increases, just everyone's shields are fixed, everyone's hit points are full, I don't care, let's just keep playing. Like, yeah. When do That's, we get to that point? I wonder. I, I, I've done that a few times. <laughs> yeah. See? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially if you have all day to you know sit around and lick your wounds on the flip side in ash i think you hit it on the head right if if the fight ends with what now needs to be a chase or a time crunch or mm. when the bells go off at noon there's going to be an execution and we have to get there if you have that kind of time pressure great these rules are awesome because it is going to make the players make a choice do i want my hit points back do i want my focus spells back or am i going to rush off to do the next thing you don't want to hit them over the head with that all the time, but occasionally making them make that choice makes the game so much more fun. Yeah. Don't underestimate the value of ticking clocks because I think a lot of times one of the reasons why 5th why fifth edition and Pathfinder 2 can sometimes feel like a slog, especially when you're dealing with dungeon crawls, is that it feels like you have infinite time and that the, the boss is just going to wait for you just somewhere he's reading a book until you get there. Um, but having a time, having a time crunch definitely ups the stakes and it makes your players a bit more invested. Like Drainel said, don't abuse it because then that becomes itself tedious, but every so often it can make a situation more tense and feedback into what we were talking about, about your players having to make conscious decisions about how they want to spend their resources. And time is one of the most valuable resources that anybody has. So like an example, like with at the very beginning of this episode, Tyler brought up, I sit outside the boss's door and we take a short rest before we go in there. If you want to prevent your players from doing that because you're a cruel DM, no, I'm just kidding, because, <laughs> because you, you're tired of your players taking advantage of short rests, have the boss have like a hostage there that they are planning on killing or something like that. Or maybe the dungeon is collapsing behind them and they don't have time to take a short rest. So they need to go in there right now. But yeah, just be careful with this as with any sort of trope. Don't overuse it. Everything in moderation as with your diet. Yeah, another great solution there that folks are suggesting in the chat. Have the boss of the dungeon send patrols. Like, if they just have routine patrols to just go around and check on everybody on, like, some schedule. Like, once every hour, patrol of kobolds comes through. It's like, hey, still alive? Cool. Just yeah. do that for everybody, and eventually the patrol will find the players and be like, ah, you're not supposed to be here. We're leaving. Yeah, Matt Koval has a great 
episode on this about pressuring your players in dungeons. He said, if you want dungeons to feel threatening, dungeons shouldn't be a place where your party can just like rest safely, especially mm -hmm. not a long rest. So if they're going to long rest, especially if they're going to long rest, make sure that you communicate to them how risky that is. And what he will do is he will have his players roll the dice to see if they get a random encounter in the dungeon from a patrol. And that really freaks his players out because now they, they, they're taking onus of the fact that they are making a conscious decision that what they're doing is very risky and may not pay off in the long run because part of the, part of the stipulation of a long rest is if it is interrupted, you do not get the benefits of a long rest. So you got to be very careful when you're long resting in a dungeon. Short resting is a little less risky, but it's still pretty risky. Yeah, an hour-long nap. Mm -hmm. All right, so so one more thing on PF2 I want to call out. There is a variant rule in the Game Mastery Guide called Stamina, which gives characters a pool of points to spend outside of combat to heal themselves. So if you're tired of dealing with the Treat Wounds loop, this can be a good alternative. It, it's one of those things you look at and it's like, this is going to introduce some specific problems. Are those problems better for my game than the problems that I already have? And like it addresses those in the Game Mastery Guide. So... Yeah, go take a look. See if it's for you. It's not going to be for everybody, and that's fine. But yeah, if you're tired of everyone being like, who has to be the treat wounds slave? Like, who's that person in this campaign? Yeah, stamina variant might solve that problem for you. Yeah, I'm legendary at medicine. <laughs> Amazing. Our uh, fireball wizard is also the world's greatest surgeon. Yeah, mundane medic. Yeah. You're not going <laughs> to use magic? Nah. Uh Pathfinder Give 2 is weird, tape. man. You can make some wild <laughs> builds in Pathfinder 2. Yeah, you it's can. such a great game. You can, make a, you can make an entire character that hits people with a prosthetic leg or arm. That's a <laughs> character you can make in Pathfinder 2. I love Pathfinder 2. Sure is. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, hey, so let's look at some other RPGs. So over the course of this podcast, we have learned a whole bunch of other games, and I... And these gentlemen here and various other people have all talked about them. And they all have rest mechanics, kind of. Randall, you already kind of hit on Cypher earlier. So tell us how that one works. Because sincerely, I don't know that one. Yeah, I, I had to actually go look it up and find it. All right, so you have three pools. You have your might pool, your speed pool, and your intellect pool. I'm going to screw this up, Cypher. Folks, tweet at me about it. <laughs> but anyway, so you have a mechanism for recovering resources into your pool, a recovery roll. The first time you do a recovery roll, it's one action. The second time you do a recovery roll, 10 minutes, third, one hour, fourth, 10 hours. Wow. Uh, and so it, and it, it is exactly what you're describing, though, where like, yeah, the first times I do this, it's fast. It isn't super punishing. We can still continue on. But obviously, you're meant to at most maybe get three of these a day. By the fourth, it's basically saying, it's like, maybe you should just go to sleep. Yeah. I mean, eight hours of sleep is less than 10 hours of whatever that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. So Alien has some interesting rest mechanics. There's actually not a whole lot of like expendable resources. Like there, there are material resources, like how much oxygen is in this spacesuit, things like that. But in terms of things that your character can recover, it's basically hit points and stress. 
You get stressed by, you know, bad stuff happens to you. You fail rolls. Every stress die you add makes it increasingly likely that you roll a face hugger. And yes, that's a thing. You roll a face hugger and something really bad happens. Like you're expected to sleep for one shift because you're on a spaceship. There's no nighttime. And then each day you don't sleep, things get progressively worse for you. So there's no, there's very little in terms of an actual rest mechanic, but you have to manage your stress and your hit points and you have to sleep while all of this other crazy stuff is going on just to keep your character from falling over yeah and and there's a potential that you will literally just pass out right the the stress Mm -hmm. and the lack of sleep will get you to the point where in like in your darkest hour you are about to be face hugged you go nap nap (laughs) yeah pretty much that's pretty cool yeah so we just got to play a ton of Fantasy Flight Star Wars. That was a lot of fl- fun. A lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, I, I ran. A it, lot was of a ton, it was it was a ton of fun. <laughs> I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> yeah, I, Randall and I got to play a game whole con, and then I ran Randall and some of our other friends through uh, one of the quick start adventures. So yeah, wonderful time. That's another game where there's very few expendable resources. It's basically hit points and grenades if you have them like that's it (laughs) they're force points but those flip back and forth as you and the gm alternate using them you you can use stim packs to heal yourself so hit point recovery is actually pretty simple but every time you use a stim pack the benefit goes down by one until you take a long rest and even then you like you can do other medicine to restore hit points between counters so like the, the pacing is basically is this still exciting like that's that is the entire pacing of Star Wars. And if if you ever think of a Star Wars movie, it's not like they sit around and like, oh, boy, I just had a really hard fight. Let me take a few minutes before we go have more fights. No, it's it's action, 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 action. Go somewhere. Action, 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 action. Yeah. You role play while you're on the ship. And as soon as yeah. the conversation's over, you're there. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> Hyper, hyperspace time. <laughs> how long does a hyperspace jump take as Plot long as it, yeah as long as you need it to exactly. the script here cool <laughs> all right uh, talk a little bit about Borg. okay so Borg, if you have powers you get your powers back you gain a wee bit of health so roll a d4 gain that for hp back on, on a rest you also have the idea of a full night's sleep so you actually sleep roll a d6 so Honestly, not that much better for you. Critically, you have to have food or drink. And if you don't have food or drink available, then you cannot get the HP benefit. You, you gain no health back. And once you get to the point of starving, if it's been two days where you haven't had food or water, you actually begin losing health. And so we, we don't necessarily want to turn this into a reality simulator. We're not going to necessarily <laughs> be counting all of our rations. I mean, the whole point of Merkborg is to die quickly anyway. But but yeah, you, you do have to do a little bit of this accounting of, okay, how many rations do I have? Do we actually have access to food or water? Or we're going to die. Yeah. Look, things have gotten bad. This character's got one gallon of water and that's it. Stab me, I'll roll a new character and we'll keep adventure. Hopefully that new character comes with water. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a sandwich. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We've talked about one ring a few times on the podcast. You get one short rest per day, which right this moment i'm forgetting what you actually get from it i'm pretty sure you recover some hit points essentially and then like one night's rest per day but most of the like important resting is actually during the respite phase between adventures which is where you recover all of your hit points you try and recover from shadow uh travel fatigue 
The fellowship phase, buddy. Not the respite. What did I say? You said respite. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, the fellowship phase. Thank you. Yeah, the fellowship phase. You go back home. Everybody like stays home for a couple of weeks or whatever, stays home through winter maybe. There, there's this whole Yule mechanic, which is nice, but that, that's a whole different episode. Anyway, you go home, you rest, you spend XP. That's the big resting. All right, now, Ash, you reviewed Simbaroom for us, and if I remember right, the rest mechanics there were really cool. Do you remember those? Yeah, I just looked it up to remind myself. So there are three different types of rests. There's short rest, long rest, and extended rest. Short rests give you a flat uh, health back, uh, and then you can spend hit dice as usual to like heal and stuff like that. Long rest lets you recover hit points equal to the maximum value of your hit dice plus your constitution modifier. doesn't count as using any hit dice. You can also continue to use hit dice to recover. But that's it. And then extended rests, you gain are what we would ex, what we assume is long rest, which is you gain all your hit points back, you cover all your hit dice, your temporary corruption becomes zero, all that stuff. Some stuff comes back uh, for for the different archetypes on short rests, long rests, or extended rests. For spellcasters, that might sound like it's miserable, but the spellcasters are very cool. You don't have spell slots. You can cast as many spells as you want. Because instead, your limiting factor is every spell you cast has a corruption attack point attached to it. So when you, it's equal to a d4 plus the spell level. And every time you roll it, you, you increase your corruption score, which you can then bring down through short rests and long rests. At least temporary uh, corruption. If you get past your corruption threshold, bad stuff starts happening to you. So yeah, Simbaroom is very cool. It's very it because it's going for more of the survival horror threatening aesthetic. I actually stole its mechanics for a Middenheim session that I was running, and it had a really it was really well received by my players. So yeah, that's a way you can do it. If you want give your spellcasters a lot of risk reward stuff, that's the way to go. I think that's super awesome. Mm-hmm. It it kind of highlights how D&D's rest mechanics are so, like, in a lot of ways, it feels like they're defined specifically to support spellcasters. Like, if we didn't have to worry about spell slots, resting would be way less of a problem. Exactly. And that's why, like, you, my players never really noticed, like, never really complained about the limitations of rest because they never felt like it was super... The only thing that it became a limiting factor on was their HP, really. And that mm. made it feel more threatening and exciting. I know it's not technically a different system, but maybe we could do a quick start guide in Simbrim because I think it's very fun. It's a different way to play 5th edition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, they, they just published the last adventure in their ongoing campaign for Simbrim. Like, it's mm. been going for like 10 years or something crazy. Yeah, it's got um, a very big meta-narrative sort of thing. Looks very cool. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend you check it out. So that's a lot of conversation about rest mechanics and looking at how different systems handle them. For instance, Cypher System is really interesting in the idea that like, okay, you can get the resource back now, but you can't keep going back to the well. It becomes more punishing. Generally, the reason that rest mechanics are so important is because ultimately the largest way that we drive pacing and make games exciting are driving your players to be out of resources, but not completely out. You want them to finally get the opportunity to get their resources back. And everybody looking around the room saying like, 
I had two level one spell slots left. I have five health left. Like we were about to die. I can't believe that worked out. And you as the GM, your job is to be monitoring this and pushing them to the brink in order to like, you know, get that dopamine response, get them excited that, wow, I cannot believe that we pulled that off. Those are the best moments in tabletop gaming. Yeah. hundred percent. I want to be beaten within an inch of my life. And then I want to be told that I gained a level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. Also, it's a perfect I mean, night. The other thing you have to keep in mind, and I think we talked about this before, is that victory doesn't always have to mean beating the person. Sometimes it's surviving mm-hmm. against insurmountable odds. Like, yeah. my players once were surrounded in this, this cabin in the middle of nowhere by a bunch of angry cultists, and they had set up traps and undead minions and stuff to sort of they knew they couldn't beat them but they just held them off while they made their escape and picked off as many as they could and that was a hard-fought victory that could have been labeled as a loss because they ultimately had to retreat but they survived to fight another day nice yeah hey surviving is winning in a lot of cases yeah yeah exactly (laughs) cool so there's another aspect of pacing that, that we talked about. I think, Ash, it was what you really highlighted at the open the episode. It isn't all combat and resource. Sometimes it's also keeping the story going and knowing when you want to put your foot on the pedal and really drive the narrative of the campaign forward versus when do we provide those opportunities for the player characters to get to know one another and, and build the world themselves. And I think this is another great place where we can talk about leveraging rests to do that role play. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Baldur's Gate 3 has all of its character development during long rests. Uh, <laughs> because it's the best time to do to do character development and role play. If you can't figure out a place to give, set aside for your players to do role play with each other, long rest at camp can be a godsend. One of the things that I do is I ask people, I set aside different watch periods, like first res, first watch, second watch, and third watch. Usually I have enough players where it's like more than one person can do a watch together. And so I'll ask who's doing which watch, and does anybody want to join a specific person on watch? And then you can have a cool scene where they talk about stuff. If your players are unsure, give them a prompt. So like what's what's some a dark secret that you want to tell or something that you've been struggling with lately today that you want to tell your friend. So yeah, rests are, if you can't figure out where to put your role play sessions, use rests. And, and to add to that, if you're a GM who's never sure when to give out meta currency, when to give out hero points, when to give out inspiration, when the players engage in these role play sessions during this time that you set aside for them, afterwards, no matter what, Inspiration all around. Like everybody gets it. Let's let's get to the next thing. Reward it and and directly tie it to like I really liked how you handled that conversation or how you lied ever so slightly when you said this one thing. And I think that that's really interesting. W- whatever the case may be, call out what you liked. Have everybody else celebrate a bit too, and then give out inspiration at the end of this. Side note: I think an episode on encouraging role play would be worth it. Yeah. yeah, let's put that in the backlog. Write that yeah. down. Write that down. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> All right. So we let's see. So we've talked about rests, how they work, how they fit into all of the pacing. We, we've mentioned this a bit a few times, but uh, the reason the reason resting needs to work the way it does is it needs to balance both resource attrition and time pressure. 
rests need to take some amount of time because it gives them a cost. Like, if you are on a clock spending an hour in D&D to take a short rest, huge problem. If you're if you're playing PF2, like, maybe you've got 10 minutes to treat wounds, repair equipment, all of those things. Are you sure you have 20? It doesn't always need to be that precise. Like, you could just use a Blades in the Dark style clock and say, like, okay, every time the players do something that wastes a huge amount of time, I fill in a sliver of the clock. Just do that. But just having that that constant time pressure makes resting actually matter. And if the world is not happy to just sit around and wait for the players to kick in the door and murder it, then... <laughs> Like, if the players choose to rest, they are vulnerable for some period of time because they're sitting around like, oh, fighter doesn't have a shield on. His shield is in pieces on the floor as he beats it back together with the hammer. Rogue is over there doing barber surgery on the cleric because the cleric doesn't want to spend any more spell slots and all their weapons are in a pile in the middle of the room because no one knows how to clean. Yeah, like, time pressure matters. And the but the duration of your rest only matter if you actually have something applying a time pressure. I think another great example that we've seen recently, Shadow Dark, the use of torches. Like I have a limited number of these torches. I burn one every real clock hour. And the number of torches I'm carrying limits the amount of everything else that I can carry. So how much treasure can I carry? How much food can I carry? How many heavy weapons can I carry? All of that drives, we have to hurry because we have to finish this dungeon in real time five hours or the lights go out and we mm -hmm. will probably die. Yeah, and this is where survival mechanics come in handy. If you're tracking food, water, resources like that, light is a big one, then your players need to figure out how much they're willing to burn and how much they're willing to save in order to continue forward. Someone on the internet made a very good point of stealing Baldur's Gate 3's long rest mechanic, where players can only long get the benefits of a long rest, like a full long rest, if they have enough supplies to do so, which mm -hmm. could be very cool. And it could either be very cool or very frustrating, depending on your group and the style of game you're running. But especially for a survival game, I think that works really well. Your players need a certain amount of supplies in order to get the benefits of long rest. They can still long rest and not get exhausted and but and get like some of their hit points back, but not all of their features and hit points back until they get those supplies. That's another time crunch. It's like, well, we can't just we can't just drag our feet and just take our time walking across this desert. We need to make sure that we're hydrating and eating so that we can get our stuff back and get out of this desert as quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and players will have ways around that like especially magically like oh i cast good barrier i cast create food and water like all of those things if they're doing that like as long as the actual like starvation survival mechanics are not the central focus of the game let them just let them spend those resources because again they're spending resources to solve the problem so let them do it yeah, and like a good compromise, I think, with that is like people, player DMs who are running survival based games tend to dis disallow those kinds of spells. Instead, just think like if we're going to pull from Baldur's Gate 3, like Goodberry only gives one point of resource to all of the to the total amount you need to do a long rest. So it's definitely useful, but it's not enough to get you 
that long rest you need. And then Cree Food and Water, maybe it just gives you all of the supplies you need for long rest. But like Tyler said, that is now resources that you are going to have to make sure that you spend carefully. Yeah, do you want do you want one more good berry? Do you want to cast shield and not die? I realize you can't like by default you can't have those on the same class, but you get the point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's pacing. We have a question of the week this week. This week our question of the week comes to us from Robert. To reach out to us, he used email. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. If the level cap for D&D 5e was lifted to 30th level, but you're still limited to 20 levels in any class and spellcasting doesn't go beyond 20th level, what would you build and how badly would it break the game? I love this question so much. Like, this pretty I, great. I got That's this email great. today and it's like, we are answering this now. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have an answer to this, Tyler? It seems like you really want to answer this one. Okay. Or do you, or do you want to go last? I, I'm going to throw us into the Wayback Machine for just a second. All right, so back in 3rd edition, we actually had, there were official epic level rules. Like, they're, they're one of the only non-core rules things that made it into the SRD. It was like Player's Handbook, DMG, Monster Manual, Psionics Handbook for some reason, and Epic Level Handbook. I don't know why those. But the Epic Level Handbook, like, you would hit 20th level in a class, and instead of just, like, a continued linear progression most of the time like each class had like 10 level like here's what you get if you keep taking levels in this class most of them sucked so in a lot of cases you would multi-class into something else like most deities were built as like oh yeah 20th level whatever they were in life and then also 20th level cleric 20th level wizard like if if your spell casting doesn't advance past 20th level which uh, that's how it worked in third edition except like there were epic level spells but that's way beyond this conversation so you could take other classes to get access to more spells with your 20 levels of spell slots which yeah great idea in a lot of cases or just like you hit level 17 in wizard three levels and whatever else to get like a second level cleric spells why not i i could see a lot of okay well, let's be honest everyone's going to take two levels of fighter for action surge every single person every Every single person. I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't. I'm not. <laughs> no? Because chaos. Because chaos. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, okay, I'd go 18 wizard, two fighter, probably, honestly, I want to say 10 levels of lore bard. Like, I realize that's a lot of overlap in the spell casting, but like, Magical Secrets is real good, man. It is. It is very good. Yeah. Okay, so um, for folks at home, what are you getting out of the lore bard that you can't get out of your wizard? Access to every spell list. So I, I will get, like, there will be spell level restrictions, but I will get four spells from any spell list. I Actually, I don't even know if that's the right choice because I've got Wish. I can just replicate any spell. Dang. You know, I, I came in here fully loaded, thought I had a good answer. Wasn't a good answer. I'd have to think about it more. Maybe maybe Rogue? Yeah, just to add on to what Tyler said, Pathfinder 1 had mythic levels, mm -hmm. which was very similar, but they also had, like, mythic classes that you could class into, like Lich. You could be a Lich. It's very cool. And all spells had mythic, spe mythic spell variants to them, every single spell, which were very cool. But for me, mine's very simple. And I don't care if you all judge me because it's awesome. <laughs> 20 levels in Paladin because ca Capstone Paladin features are very good. And 
some of them, but the <laughs> yeah. ones that are the paladin classes that are worth taking have good capstone features. Uh, <laughs> and ten levels in warlock, so that I get a bunch of warlock stuff, higher level short rest smites that I can do, and more packed packed features because tenth level gets you another patron feature as well. So. Uh, now you wouldn't go for a full casting class to advance, get the better, like the bigger, really, really big pool of spell slots. I mean, that was what I was considering. I was like either ten levels in warlock or ten levels in sorcerer, but mm. warlock paladin is so freaking broken, man. Because <laughs> yeah. the, all you have to do is get devil sight and then darkness, and you are made for life. Because yeah. you just cast <laughs> darkness on yourself and nobody can do anything about it. <laughs> At some point you upgrade to Shadow of Moil and it's like, what if I was darkness, but even edgier? Yeah, and then, like, plus Eldritch Blast, like, it's just so good. And all of the different packed magic features, all the different Eldritch invocations, you can have, you can do some really fun builds with Warlock. Sorcerer is close second for me, though. Like, metamagic plus a lot of spell slots that I can cast with, with Smite. Like, I, pick one. Either of those two <laughs> would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I'm not going two levels in Fighter because I just... I'm, I'm already doing a lot. I don't need Action Surge. I realize that it's the optimal choice, but screw the optimal choice. I'm going with flavor. <laughs> I, I'm thinking I might... <laughs> I might go 20 levels fighter, 10 levels of wizard just for the extra ability score increases. Like, nothing else. I'm not going to use the fighter features except action surge. Just like a bunch of feats. Throw them on me. I mean, you also get... See, that's in... what I was going to ask. Do you get ASIs on those last 10 levels? Why not? Sure. Okay. Yeah. You, it's right. a thought it, it, experiment. That, that's what it implies. And also you get, I think it's, I think you get indomitable as at the 10 levels in fighter, which allows you to repeat saves, which yeah. is just a solid feature for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right, Randall, what are you thinking? I don't know. That's what I'm, I'm actually like, I'm listening to all of your ideas and I'm like, yeah, some of these seem like a lot of fun. Okay. <laughs> I want to build the ultimate short rest hero. Okay. That, so that's where Monk my warlock. Uh, I don't want to be a I don't I don't want to be a monk though. <laughs> how did how did monk factor into this? Short rest, man. Yeah, key points. You, yeah, get your people oh, points back yeah, and party yeah. on. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe. Okay, so right, Def, definitely warlock. Let's say we're gonna take ten levels here. I agree with the fighter assertion. Let's take two levels of fighter just to get action action surge because that's gonna be a lot of fun. I think you gotta go monk, bud. Fine. Fine, 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 fine. Okay, good. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. What's the capstone for a warlock? Are they any good? I've never played a twenty level warlock. Uh, uh, you, you can get all of your spell slots back after one minute of talking to your patron. Yeah, it's bad. Okay, okay, yeah, that's not super special. All right, yeah. we're gonna go eighteen to ten. Eighteen warlock, two fighter, ten monk. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm just never gonna sleep. And and. <laughs> We'll we'll do an elf so they trance. You could also do rogue because I think rogue gets some stuff back on a short rest, or they just don't really have a lot of features no. that expend on a short they rest. Literally just hit dice. Yeah. <laughs> oh oh gosh. All right. So we published an article a while ago called "Bug Bury Me in Damage," because I can't not. The premise of the article was like, okay, we've got bug bears and they're a problem. How? 
bad of a problem is this? The answer is you can solo Tiamat in one turn at like level 16. Gross. Tiamat being the thing with the most hit points with a published stat block as of when I wrote the article. You could just keep going with that and just make it worse. Like just keep adding spellcasting levels, make Scorching Ray more of a problem. Like get scary. One of the builds I did, I forget what it was, but I did it when I was first joined RPG Bot when we were doing that actual play that never that's never go, probably never gonna see the light of day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I made that character that could do like six attacks in a turn. It was or something crazy <laughs> like that. I was doing so many attacks that were mm-hmm. so heavily optimized that it was like I was hitting more than I was missing on everything. And it was <laughs> it was insane. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, if I remember right, you had elven accuracy and I just cast foresight on you and let you do all the work. Yep. Yeah, that's right. I did I did have elven accuracy. That character was yep. stupid. Uh, yeah. I, I believe Randall threw a encounter at us that he thought was gonna be really hard and we killed it in a single round. It was insane. Yeah, it feels great. <laughs> I think the, the, the crowning achievement, I think at one of you I got in the mouth of a giant crocodile and started moving towards water. I think <laughs> you, you solved that too. Yeah. Yeah. All hail the leisure Illuminati. I'm Randall James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campstu. You'll find me on RPGBot.net. Literally never resting. No pacing here. Bad. Bad boy. Go rest. I know. <laughs> uh, oh, um, you'll also find me on socials. RPGBOT, D-O-T, N-E-T. I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes or on YouTube at Ash Raven Media. If you want to hire me to run a game, just go to startplaying.games slash GM slash Graven Ashes. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, ad-free access to rpgbot.net, early access to rpgbot.content, content, polls for future content, and access to the rpgbot.discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash rpgbot. I agree with you so much, Stubbins.